Welcome to Cyberside Chats from Epic, a global legal services provider. Hosted by Jarek Beeson, Chief Information Security Officer at Epic, Cyberside Chats is where professionals come to hear CISO and industry leader insights on the latest news and trends for cybersecurity and privacy in the legal industry. Welcome to Epic Cyberside Chat, where we are excited to be developing content for and by the legal and privacy industries. You know, there's a lot of cybersecurity content in media, but we believe there's a gap when it comes to the legal industry in specific, and we're seeking to address that with our show. My name is Jarek Beeson. I'm a senior vice president and the chief information security officer at Epic, and I will be your host. We're excited to be giving you guys a sneak peek into a new format we are trying out in 2022. And we have our first episode with a co-host. If you have been following our show for a while, you may know the name Whitney McCollum from episode two titled, Would You Bury Your Driver's License? Where we dug into the privacy implications of a digital transformation, among other topics. I wouldn't do Whitney justice if I provided her background. So Whitney, please introduce yourself to our audience and uh, give them a little bit of your background. Thanks, Jarek. And thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, and looking forward to interviewing Stephanie on a really important topic today. Um, I'm a partner at KNL Gates, which is an international law firm. I'm in the technology transactions group focusing on data protection, privacy, and security. So I'm very on point with all of our discussions that Jarek and I, you've had on the side over the years, and then what this CyberSide Chat podcast is covering. Thank you, Whitney. And now the star of the show is our guest, Stephanie Drysdale. I made a post online about the cyber risks of M&A and she chimed in on the comments. One thing led to another and here we are fortunate to have her on our show. As a vice president in her firm's cyber practice, Stephanie works closely with practitioners to provide support for organizations and high-profile clients, ranging from Fortune 100 corporations to boutique consulting firms. She has been instrumental in building Prescient's cyber offerings since joining the firm in 2016, particularly its executive digital protection program, which has become the flagship offering of their practice in large part due to Stephanie's vision and efforts. Stephanie has also been an active proponent of cybersecurity awareness, having hosted and participated in many panel discussions, webinars, and presentations about online safety and good digital hygiene as well as the role of women in security and the cybersecurity fields. She hosts a weekly industry news roundup on her LinkedIn feed and YouTube channel, which I actually watch pretty religiously. And uh, it covers current trends, news pieces, as well as regular interviews with other leaders in the field of corporate security, risk management, and information technology. In 2019, she was recognized by the European Risk Policy Institute as one of the year's cyber risk communicators for outstanding contribution to global knowledge sharing in the area of cybersecurity and risk policy. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Is there anything else about yourself that I missed? No, not at all. I follow <laughs> such a good introduction. No, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk with you and Whitney today. Right on, right on. Well, let's just hop into it because, like I said, we have a good one for you guys. All right. So, if a company is relevant these days, they have a technology footprint. Small or large, that means they have some level of cybersecurity and privacy risk. 
Today, we're going to talk about these risks in M&A transactions. In the future, we're going to discuss the risk of divestitures, carve-outs, and site shutdowns. But we're going to dive into specifically mergers and acquisitions today. The article reference for today's show can be found on Lexology.com, and it was penned by the law firm Boren Ladner Gervais earlier this year. I hope I got that right, guys. Hope I did not butcher your name. As always, the link can be found in the show notes. Now, this is a subject I'm passionate about, so I got to really be careful not to lead the witness here. So with that said, we'll start off with a very high level question. Stephanie, what are some of the cyber risks associated with M&A transactions? Gosh, that, that's a big can of worms you just opened up there. I come from a commercial real estate background. So to me, uh, if we're going to make this really, really simple for everybody involved, I like to think of it in terms of a building. So if you're going to purchase you know, commercial property, you're going to look at everything from the roof to the plumbing, to the basement, to the neighbors, to the, the covenants, the restrictions, all of those things. Cyber inch or cyber MA due diligence is just that. We're going to look into everything that exists now in terms of assets, how it's being used. Is it current? Has it been maintained? You know, what's the valuation of it? You know, does it have vulnerabilities? Does it cover, you know, what it's supposed to cover? If we you know, mix it all up together with what we've already got, then what's it look like? You know, what are the, you know, all the things that are going to come with it? So, you know, and then we've thrown that extra fun component that we hear about every 30 seconds is what about compromises? You know, is it, is, you know, this particular acquisition uh, a prior victim of a breach or a compromise? Is it prime target for it? What's its dark web presence and exposure look for? Like, so we, we just opened a big old can of worms on that one. Yeah. Thanks, Stephanie. And that it's a lot to dive into, but your analogy of diligence in commercial real estate, I think is fantastic because it gives something concrete for people to understand. And I think a tangible reference as many people have bought homes or can imagine the diligence needed to look at a piece of property and the value of the property and negotiating that process. And so here's my question for you. You mentioned to Jarek and I on the side, you know, one of your skills is bridging people with the problems. And in this article that we're looking at, one of the things that stood out to me is that the author said that cyber risk management is really based on three pillars, people, process, and technology. And I think in my experience with M&A due diligence, process and technology is often a focus. But tell us more about the importance of that people aspect and how that comes into play in your experience. I can go any, again, in any number of directions with that one. When we start talking about people, we look at things like stakeholders, right? So, you know, the principles of, of this, what's their reputational footprint look like, right? You know, you would want to know if they admitted a, a horrible crime at some point, but you also might want to know what's their cyber exposure look like? You know, what is their dark web presence? Do they have a, a very polarizing personality where they have, you know, a target on their head on the dark web where they're being doxxed? That's important to know from a security practitioner's perspective so that they can fortify on their end and say, okay, like this is a heightened risk for us. It needs to be looked at in terms of organization wide. You know, what do the people understand? Are there policies and procedures in place? Do they know what they are? Has security awareness training been incorporated into this? Are people just randomly clicking? Are they using their own devices? Are they, you know, just completely going rogue with what they're doing? 
these are things that, you know, maybe for a small company can seem fairly innocuous, but when you incorporate this into a larger team with maybe some pretty specified focuses and procedures in place, now you've got a culture thing, right? So, you know, how do we look at this right now going into it and say, how can we start to get you up to speed so that when we do finally combine, you know, the, the two businesses that we are all in a good place, right? So I think that the people is just such a, such a huge part of it. And, and honestly, CISOs like you, Jared, and other people do such a good job that sometimes the people is the biggest thing that has to be, you know, addressed. So I'm glad you brought that up, Whitney. So it's interesting that you guys started talking about people because my experience with M&A transactions are there are three reasons for a transaction. Either one, you want to bring over the people because there is a talent within the organization that you want to bring over, engineers, architects, usually people with a high level of technical skill. Or there's an intellectual property play where there is something that you would like to get your hands on that you would like to incorporate into something that you already have. Or there's a pure business play where you want the customers, you want the customer list, and you want to maybe even add a new division, a new business unit uh, to your organization. But since you're starting to talk about people, I find that the people risk is probably the the most underrated because it's perceived that there is no technology that comes along. It's just the people. But the people need technology to excel most of the time. And a lot of the time when it's these brainiacs, we'll call them, that you have brought over, they have a very particular way of doing things. So it's important to, in your due diligence, understand what makes those people successful, especially if what that is can introduce risk, i.e. BYOD, administrative privilege in all your devices, do whatever you want to do. Either one of you, have you approached it differently based off of the genesis of the M&A or is, is every M&A kind of the same? Jarek, that's a great question. That leads into a number of points that I scribbled down before this on how every M&A is not the same. And I think a gap is looking at M&A transactions as similar and you can follow a formula and a process. There's definitely kind of a base formula and process that should be followed. But when it comes to really effectively doing that diligence, you have to Kind of do that screening at the outset of what is the core value? Why are we acquiring this company? And then exactly like you walked through there, Jarek, of how do we navigate those risks from a cyber perspective? So what identify what those risks are going to be and then target the diligence and then the remediation and the risk based on all of that. And so really doing the intentional process. And so while there's no one size fits all for really any transaction, I do think that there can be similar formulas and processes that are followed for M&A, but only if you do that initial screening of what is the value and what are the risks that we're trying to accomplish. Stephanie, it'd be really interesting to understand more on what you think about um, how, how best to manage cyber risks with this in mind. And so based on these kind of core reasons for doing a transaction, um, how do you advise companies in in looking at the cyber risk, not just in the transaction, but when doing the diligence for acquiring a target and then after the close, you know, what's your advice on how to do it effectively and well and minimizing risk? 
That's a great question. I, I think that the, the major thing that we always try to go into any situation with is, you know, we're going to look at things from a, a fairly agnostic perspective, right? We're not going to tell you something's good or bad. We want to tell you, you know, where the risks are, you know, but every company will have their own risk tolerance and their comfort with that. So when it comes to um, the due diligence process, you know, we know what best practices are. We, you know, we all have frameworks that we compare things to and say, you know, based on the framework, this is less risk, this is more risk. So to be able to go into the company initially and uh, basically do the assessment and say, like, this is where you are. These are where the risks are. These are where your crown jewels are. Um, these are the processes and, and the, the technologies you're currently using. This is how they're configured and how they might measure up. Um, these are some recommendations for how they could, you know, maybe be fortified a little bit better than what we're seeing right now. And these are some uh, recommendations we can make for integration. Um, again, without getting too deep into telling someone what they're doing isn't working, especially, you know, to Jarek's point about, you know, you've got these creative types and um, they have their own methods and their own systems. Sometimes just showing someone an alternative approach that is safer or more protected or why uh, something might not be the best option is is maybe a good place to begin. But to be able to just make those assessments across the board and and just set the stakeholders down at the table and say, what what level of risk are you comfortable with? Because this is what we see. And um, based on historical situations and then based on current, you know, climate and future expectations, this is, you know, this is where we could go with this and just see, you know, how comfortable everyone at the table is with adapting to that movement. I love that perspective. One of the analogies I like to use about what my job is as a CISO, it's to put up a really clean mirror that shows the business what they are trying to do. Oftentimes they can see specifically what their objective is, but they don't see the risks that are introduced as a result. So it's very rare. I mean, very rare that I say, no, we can't do something. I can't remember the last time I said no. I say, here is the risk of what you're trying to do. Or here's what you need to understand that you're going to have to do when you make this decision. And the assessments and so forth, they're not really done for binary yes or no, but more so to create a picture so that the business understands, you know, what steps they're trying to take and the risks that are being introduced as a result. So, so I like I like your approach there. We have a lawyer on and given that this is a legal podcast, what about the legal implications or even the privacy implications? You rarely hear about privacy being discussed MA cyber has barely made made it into the into the landscape, but privacy it's sitting right there and it's right in the in the legal wheelhouse. Whitney, is that a conversation that you've had to have in the past? Absolutely. Depending on the transaction, sometimes it is a let's just check and make sure the house is in order and the diligence and that you know what privacy laws apply. You know the personal data that's being collected. And in other transactions, you know, depending on the purpose, sometimes it's, it's a big focus because sometimes the personal data is 
the reason for the acquisition or personal data is a big risk because of where the company does business. And so if they have European offices, privacy will be much more of a piece of the diligence process. And so at least the three of our opinions and those of us that we work with privacy and cyber and data should be a consideration for all transactions. Sometimes it's a small consideration and it's let's just make sure we understand the risks and identify any risks. So that can be considered as part of the valuation. But sometimes it's a, it's a big focus. And I think there's certain core situations where it's a big focus. One is if there's, if there has been significant risk in the past, either due to low cybersecurity culture or high amounts of personal data. If it's a public company, I think that's, you know, you definitely need more diligence on that. Um, and then if the data is part of the transaction, whether it be personal data or just the type of data they have is the value asset, you really, really want to um, do the diligence on that data. So following on that, Stephanie, um, what in your experience, how do you think it's most effective to bring all of the stakeholders together in the M&A diligence process? Because you've got the lawyers that come with all of their questions and their legal focus, and you've got the internal people from both sides who, in my experience, are trying you know, their best to answer questions, but they're also trying to do their day jobs. And then you've got the buyers and the sellers who have different goals, investment goals. Sometimes they want to get rid of a business unit. Sometimes they're trying to make money. When you're focusing on cyber diligence, how are you finding all of those other aspects are affecting those considerations? When when we're engaged, sometimes it's under different kind of structures. So we've seen several. One that seems to work really well is for counsel to kind of guide the process um, because of privileges, right? So when you've got the due diligence, there are things that you don't necessarily want to 100% just throw everything out there. And as it relates to privacy, and I think this is a good plug for letting people know that if you're you're even considering going into an M&A transaction, ransomware threats go way through the roof during that time. You know, the living off the land attacks where people are monitoring your emails and not doing anything and you're not even sure they're in your systems, all of a sudden you've got threats overnight the moment you start chattering about this deal. You've made it a very attractive ransomware target. So to go into the process saying, okay, we know we're going to start these talks and there's a lot of money at stake. So let's figure out what our secure messaging is. Let's, you know, establish with the stakeholders at which point different teams will be brought in and engaged. Let's establish means of communication. We will not go outside. You know, are we going to employ a secure data room for the exchange of information? Are we going to use email? Are both sides comfortable with the email? You know, do you have a Yahoo server that you're like transferring all of this really sensitive data on or are, you know, you engaging something a little bit more protected? Uh, those things I think need to be established as kind of a rules of engagement. And then, you know, let people know that they'll be brought in when it's time to be brought in rather than just everybody coming in at the same stage, everybody jumping in and, you know, security telling you how it, it should go and legal and HR and everybody trying to throw their hat in at the same exact time, you know, to be able to 
you know, you mentioned the playbook, you know, to establish in the playbook, like when we initiate this, these are the stakeholders that are going to be brought in. At this stage, you can expect this team to sit at the table. And I think that really lets everybody know that you will have a say, you will be able to contribute, your priorities will be heard at these different stages, you know, after the structures put into place and after we establish priorities. And to your earlier point with, you know, the, the level of due diligence, is this a publicly traded company? How big is this deal? The, the bigger the deal, the deeper the dive. So, you know, at what point do we establish those things, I think, is for the playbook in the beginning. Hey, you make a good point about there's a different time in the deal for different people to participate. My experience is that IT comes in later in that process. And, Unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> and security comes in even later. For the most part, IT is is an accepted part of due diligence. Cybersecurity and privacy are still, you know, fighting for a consistent uh, seat at the table. Sometimes the smaller deals aren't, aren't perceived to need security. The larger deals, you see it more often. In your point about the attacks going up as soon as the deal is made, there is data that demonstrates that. There are specific threat actors that specifically wait for a deal to be announced or even chatter about a deal because those are then considered to be soft targets. When you're going through an M&A, your guards are down because you're so focused on completing that deal oftentimes. But more so than that, it's usually a smaller company getting acquired by a larger company and the larger company is the real target and people will try to or the bad actors attempt to compromise the smaller company, thinking that they will be a pathway in to the to the larger company. So those are, are really good points that, that were made. I guess one of the questions that I guess I have is how often do you see or, or have you seen a case where IT makes this recommendation and then it's just considered a checkbox. It's not necessarily respected, given that IT and cyber are still fighting for a seat at the table. Sometimes their voice isn't heard. Are, are you seeing that or are you seeing a change in that? Unfortunately, I, I do see that with a lot of things. I have a huge respect and love for compliance teams, right? But one of my frustrations with compliance is the check the box mentality. You know, we did the due diligence. It's good enough. Let's just go forward. I think that there's a way to go forward, you know, that doesn't, every deal doesn't have to be completely clean, but it does have to have an awareness. And to your point with bringing in IT, you know, maybe IT or security don't need to sit at every single discussion, but I do think it's important that security by design comes in and they set the stage for every stage, you know, when we're engaging, you know, has security chimed in on what they think is important. This is what we should or shouldn't talk about just yet. These are, you know, this is the framework. This is where this information should be shared and communicated. I think it's really, really important for them to, to kind of guide, you know, the safety of the negotiation so that, you know, you're not in a situation where you're, you're getting close to the deal. The merger and acquisition's been announced. You're in the due diligence. You're getting ready to close. And all of a sudden, everybody's offline. Right. Um, and to your point with the, the smaller company, I mean, there, there are examples in the headlines every day where people are getting targeted because, you know, their vulnerability is the third party. 
So I think there needs to be more early engagement from the IT and security teams to kind of at least set the stage for the, the discussions that will, you know, come in throughout. Agreed, agreed. And you made a few points in there that I want to call out that I think are incredibly, incredibly valuable for having a, a healthy or at least a chance at a healthier transaction. And that's setting the stage and doing that early on. What is this transaction going to look like? What's the focus? And then that piece you pointed out on how are we going to do this and do it well, which is how are we going to securely do the transaction? We talk about cybersecurity and M&A and it's diligence of the target. And sometimes you hope you're also discussing remediation and integration, which I think is a big gap. But your point is so valid of you need to actually make the transaction itself secure and all the discussions and use a data room and make sure every single person is communicating in an approved means because there's so many ways to share data and have conversations now. And the attackers know all of those ways and they're looking out for them. And I think having, now this could be a whole side discussion on how a buyer can have an effect on um, the target company's security when the target company is still just a target. You know, that, that's a risk area. And so strategies for minimizing the risk while the target company is not yet integrated, I think is um, one interesting point. Um, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on that. Um, but your point you made about legal privilege is a really valid one. And of course, because I'm a lawyer, I call that out. And M&A transactions are classically guided by lawyers. And so there's a lot under legal privilege. But one really important point for the cybersecurity is um, that analysis and diligence of the target cybersecurity health, which then should be used for remediation post acquisition and risk areas for the integration of the two companies. And that's a piece that is very classically something that should be under legal privilege. And because of the structure of M&A, it likely very much is. But as part of the post-close health and, you know, integration of the company, that should be remain under privilege. It shouldn't just be something that gets handed off to the business teams. You want it to stay under that legal privilege umbrella so that all of the work that's done for remediation um, can still remain privileged if there's a shareholder suit or any question about the diligence process. But going back a little bit to that security by design, have you had any experience in um, being able to influence the security of a target company that might be a smaller company and their cybersecurity might not be great. It might not be a huge risk area, but there's there's definitely places where a company could kind of get in and use that back door. What's your experience with that? Absolutely. So we have had the, the fortunate experience, and I, I these are my very forward-thinking clients, and I love this about them, that we often do assessments where a company will come to us and say, we're going on the market, right? We want to be an attractive target. We want to know what's out there. We want to know all the skeletons. We want to figure all this out. We want to make sure that we're putting the best foot forward, that we're, we're creating a climate for a positive valuation. You know, what do we need to know? So, uh, and that could be, you know, in front of like an IPO or something even too. So to be able to go out there and say, okay, this is the reputational things that you need to be aware of. This is your, your cyber, 
you know, posture and, and this is the, the risks that you have open source and you can do full on audits and pen tests and all those things as well. But I love the companies that approach this very proactively and, you know, they, they basically go in there and, and they want the assessment. What do I, you know, what, what's good? What's not so good? What can I do to change this? What can I do to make this better before I even walk into this process? And I absolutely love when they're proactive. That's, I mean, that's kind of the dream um, mm-hmm. to have a company like that. This yeah, is such a good conversation and I, I wish we can continue it. But um, I'll add this one last piece and then we can move to the next round because I think we could talk about this for a lot longer. Uh, <laughs> the, the current threat landscape has demonstrated, and I think this was called out earlier, that the supply chain is a major risk. And for those that are embarking on their first due diligence effort on the cyber side of things for M&A, you want to look at the contracts of the organizations that you're acquiring as well. And I think contract review is common. Looking for cybersecurity and privacy implications within those contracts is not as common. Right. So did they accept indemnity clauses? Did they take on liability that you otherwise would not have taken on? You want to understand some of those things ahead of time, because when you acquire them, you acquire those contracts and you acquire those agreements. And and also from an agreement perspective, if one of their uh, requirements is that a supplier has unfettered access to your to their environment, they're then going to require that they have unfettered access to your environment when that happens. So you want to understand the supply chain side of things as well, because when you acquire an organization, you also acquire their risks, you acquire their bad contracts, you acquire their flaws. Uh, so just something else to consider. Stephanie, I know that you brought your own topic to this conversation. And uh, for the first time, we're going to have a Ask the Host instead of Ask the CISO because we have our wonderful co-hosts on as well. What is uh, the question that you brought to the table? Uh, thank you. So I am always loving this question because I, I am a big um, proponent for convergence in all things. I feel like if the left hand and the right hand don't know what the, uh, you know, the other is doing, then we're at a disadvantage. So in both of your experiences, uh, you know, with with global organizations and various industries and whatnot, how common was it for there to be collaboration among departments uh, such as, you know, security, HR, Intel, IT, legal um, to address those threats and various risk related to them and to tack on to that? Do you see that changing as we, you know, become more of a remote, you know, workforce where everyone's kind of um, working from a mobile perspective? That's a great question. I think a great one for Jarek and I, because uh, we came from the same organization and we worked together in legal and in security, and we were part of that cross collaboration. Um, and I think we both feel very strongly about the necessity of collaboration across departments and absolutely about the necessi- necessity of security and legal collaborating, obviously, because this podcast exists. <laughs> um, but it's not, it has historically not been common. Um, it is becoming more common. I think as security professionals and lawyers who are focused on security and privacy recognize the extreme value of it. And then leaders who are creating these teams and leading these teams understand that collaboration is how you really effectively get things done in an organization. And so they're hiring people that value collaboration and are getting out there and 
reaching out to the leaders and the other groups saying, I'm here and this is what I do and this is how we can work together and not a forceful, you know, from a legal perspective, you need to meet everyone at the table and say, this is my role. My role is to analyze risk and to advise you on the risk for me is to explain to me all the, the technical needs of the company and the technical priorities of the company. And then we work together to make things happen. And so historically, it's, I think, not been great, but it's it's necessary. And so it's therefore becoming more common as quality leaders are really demanding that and seeing the value in that. I agree with uh, Whitney wholeheartedly. Um, I don't always let people speak for me, but Whitney, you can continue to speak for me in regards to collaboration <laughs> throughout throughout the business. I So as a consultant, I've seen the good, the bad, the ugly, the really ugly, and the even worse than that. <laughs> and there are some indicators of good, strong, mature security programs. And collaboration is one of the core indicators. You know, I can't speak to... How oh, I can, but I won't speak to how poor collaboration occurs, but I can talk through how good collaboration occurs throughout the industry. So the IT to security relationship, that's easy to grasp because ultimately we are protecting technology. And though security is everybody's responsibility, IT does more than anybody to implement controls. And then I also found that the relationship with HR is important for your joiners or movers and your leavers because you want to automate as much of that as possible. You want to make sure that people have the right access that they need. But HR is also a big part of an insider risk program, <laughs> insider risk program, if you have one. And I think that's a topic we're going to cover on a future episode, actually, insider risk. But there's also the relationship with sales. Arguably, the relationship with sales is greater than it's ever been, especially in B2B organizations, because of the supply chain issue that we just talked about. You know, if you are B2B, you are part of the supply chain. You don't just have a supply chain. You are part of the supply chain and supply chain risk is one of the hottest topics. And security teams are oftentimes the gate to doing business with another organization. So how we navigate and require how we navigate all of that requires consistent collaboration with our sales teams. Then the core business units, there's also collaboration for, for different reasons. The most popular one would be that the product teams are usually embedded within the individual business units. And well, security has to weigh in on how digital products are going to be secured and delivered. What am I forgetting? Finance. <laughs> yeah, finance, of course, right? Besides the fact that they hold the purse strings, procurement is oftentimes where finance is and finance and procurement go hand in hand. We need to be the gatekeeper for our own organizations. And Whitney kind of talked about the legal connection, so I won't go into that topic. But as she put, that is the purpose for this show. And there's others, right? But effectively, security needs to collaborate with a two-way communication with existing relationships that don't come up only when you need them, but on a regular basis, every part of the organization from facilities to the CEO. And to answer your question, I see those relationships strengthening over time and not just because of work from home, but just because security is now a boardroom topic. And because it's a boardroom topic, we're seeing security also start to become decentralized in many ways. The introduction of the business information security officer has has grown and we're seeing it in places outside of banks now. Or you might be seeing security champions or advocates, 
We're seeing security embedded within the business to make these interactions more organic, to make them more effective and make them more streamlined and ultimately mature security at a faster clip. That's kind of what I'm seeing. Love that. And Jared, you made a great point on the all the groups that need to be involved in your point of the board of directors is a hot topic right now. We just saw the shareholder lawsuit against this um SolarWinds board of directors saying they violated their duty of care and the SEC is requiring more active involvement by boards of directors. And we're just going to see more and more expectations on how the board gets involved, their knowledge and their involvement in the decision making and this shareholder lawsuit in the SEC. Everyone's kind of watching to see what the new expectations are. But in the meantime, boards are questioning a lot. What what do we need to know? Um, do we know enough? And so there's a lot of pressure on the business to provide reporting and updates and insight into the decision-making requirements by the boards. And so that's now a piece of the collaboration. So good. So good. Stephanie, you have been a wonderful guest. Thank you for blessing us with your presence on this the mic. So I know that you focus on executive digital protection. And uh, maybe we can end the show with you kind of giving a little pitch for why that even matters. Sure. Try to tie it into M&A transactions, but it's, it's, it's a little, <laughs> a little <laughs> bit of a leap. No, you know, executive digital protection is something that really came about because we were working an investigation from the back end. And uh, one of our executives came to us and said that they owned two new vehicles that they knew nothing about. So after going through the investigation and finding out that there was this, this big actual criminal ring around fraud um, involving car dealerships and notaries and, and people like that, we realized that a lot of the exposure that the executive had was just open source digital information, you know, addresses, family members, social security breached from, you know, a, a former compromise. And then looking at how much of that information was either shared himself or information that uh, data aggregators were sharing on his behalf and really kind of went to work from a proactive approach to say, okay, you know, obviously we don't want to come in after the fact on all of these. We would much prefer to protect people. And, and obviously who's our, who's our biggest target? Well, it's high profile, high net worth, high visibility. All of us, you know, the three of us here have a digital footprint that we need to protect. But if we are the CEO of a, you know, Fortune 10, obviously the target on our head is much, much bigger. And we do it as part of our responsibilities. Uh, so that's a duty of care thing, right? So when we start looking at that footprint, as our founders were naval intelligence officers from the intelligence community, we took that same lens to look at them from a digital standpoint and build a dossier. What can we find out about you and how could we attack? And then instead of just fear, you know, mongering the whole thing, we went into remediation. What can we remediate, remove on your behalf? How can I walk you through it in my debriefing so that we can address specifics to you, specific concerns, specific threats, and you can go forward in a safer way? And how do we monitor ongoing for remediation and removal and escalations like travel, escalations like maybe some type of political frustrations that exist in the world that might be directed toward you. And then just really kind of uh, take that whole approach and 
couple it into a lot of the other things that we do for giving visibility and due diligence and uh, intel to the people who need it most. So, you know, it really is about learning more about people and companies and protecting the technologies that empower us to do what we do. That's great. And an, unfortunately, an absolutely necessary service these days. Yes. Yes. That is the new gold. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I consider that last two minutes you're pitched to come back on the show. And <laughs> yes, you can come back on the show. <laughs> uh, you know what? That that can kind of concludes our show for the day, actually for the year. Everybody that's been listening, if this is your first time or if this is your 12th time or somewhere in between, thank you for your support. We wish you guys a happy holidays and we will be back next year with more legal cybersecurity content. Take care. Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions or ideas from today's show, share them with us by emailing cyberside at epicglobal.com. Don't forget to follow us on socials. You can find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram by searching for Epic Global. Until next time, stay cyber smart. <music>